Okay, this morning, I'm just making sure I'm on the air, so I'm going to hand this off to the others. We've got a uh, panel of... of right? And uh, what we've got is three questions, or a question for each of them. Ah, there we go. I think I'm now on the air. A uh, question for each of them. And uh, in terms of their motivation behind actually originally getting involved in mission. I'm going to start with you, Richard. Uh, first of all, what motivated you to take a different career path than the normal employment path? Um, I'm not sure I ever contemplated a normal path, but anyway. Um, began as a conviction, I think, as a young man, um, quite young, that I would actually one day end up as a missionary. And bizarrely enough, I thought Africa. And uh, interestingly, the girl that I became most interested in later in life uh, sort of also got interested in being uh, a missionary in Africa. And so it sort of confirmed where I thought I was heading because um, I had ulterior motives as well. Um, but I think uh, we were both given early on in our marriage opportunities to step out in faith perhaps small steps as a training ground for leaving behind what others would consider normal uh, to go and live in Zambia and serve at Kalani Mission Hospital. Um, So, yeah, it was something that grew uh, through early conviction, through circumstances, through the way God orchestrated our lives and for the people he placed in our lives at various times uh, so that it was a done deal so that we ended up, my first trip outside of Australia was to go and live somewhere else in Africa. Wow, okay, fair enough. And what about you, Cameron? Uh, Well, I think for me, God really changed my life at the end of my schooling. And so I actually did pursue the the traditional uh, getting a job and and all that stuff. And and it wasn't until God actually broke my leg that I ended up changing my mind. So I I hope you're all faster learners than I am. But but I think, uh, I think rather than what motivated me, three things that enabled me just quickly to consider missions was one, that I was able to wait and pray because I didn't know where God wanted me to go. So I was able to wait and pray um, about what that could be. Uh, I think also uh, not being too stuck in what I was doing because I, was, I could have kept working and kept earning money and doing those things, but having the freedom to actually say yes to God even in the midst of um, yeah, what you may have been doing for a long time like, I think it's, challenge, it's easy to get comfortable and not to, uh, and just to ask yourself, are you still willing if he said yes to go? And I think finally, for me, just coming out of high school, I didn't feel very gifted. I had no interested re- interest really in ministry, um, but not, innate, not allowing my lack of giftedness to be an excuse for me not to be obedient to God. And so that's what it ended up coming back to, was obedience to God is what motivated me uh, to go on mission. Um, Well, Rob and I were at Bible College and we were uh, seeking God as to what he wanted us to do. Um, We'd sort of said to God, you know, whatever you wanted us, we would do it. And it was at that time that the 1040 window was um, a pretty big um, comment that was going around mission circles. And it was actually Brendan's dad who was working with the Fulani in West Africa and he challenged us to think about the Fulani because they're the biggest unreached people group in the world of about 13 million right across West Africa. And um, 
not many people were willing to go there. One, because they were Muslim, and two, because the climatical conditions are very difficult. Um, and we also felt that Australia had a lot of access to the gospel, but these Fulani didn't. And so we decided that with much prayer and much fear and trembling, that that's where we went. So it was a conviction of God that we needed to be obedient, and it wasn't easy. There were many times we wanted to give up and come back. Um, But God gave us a perseverance and gave us that conviction and the calling to stay there and to work amongst the Fulani. Okay, well, thanks, panel. Thanks for joining us and sharing that this morning. And I should have, in my welcome, I should have actually welcomed you, Brendan. I'm sorry earlier on. But Brendan Short is going to be sharing with us shortly uh, in terms of the message this morning. Now, each of you should have got an envelope this morning. Anyone not get an envelope or miss out? Because now is the time. What we'd like you, I'd like you to do is actually take that envelope and open it. And in it, you'll see there's... Uh, it's a, uh, well, you'll see what it is, but there's a question in there which I'd like you to read and I'm going to give you a moment just to contemplate that question. Now, different people have got different questions, okay? But I'm just going to give you a moment to actually read and contemplate that question. Let's just pray, and then I'm going to hand over to Rob Ollison. He's going to interview Brendan this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, as we individually, but also corporately as a church fellowship, consider the challenge that is being put out here this morning. It's easy for us just to continue on in our everyday lives and just doing the same thing each day. But Lord, we do pray that as we consider from this day going forward, what you might have us to be doing. We do pray that we might know what it is to listen to the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking into our lives. That we might know what it is to be obedient to you and not just push back or think that, uh, no, that someone else can go off and do that particular thing or that that, uh, particular task. So, Lord, as we have been... Uh, singing and praying this morning, we do pray that we might really sense what it is to be a part of and about your mission. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we just want to introduce uh, Brendan, as we've already done, but just for us to get to know him uh, a bit better, just got a couple of questions, three questions to ask. So, Brendan, um, tell us a bit about where you are from. Uh, well, the, sh- the near answer is that I'm from Warrnambool. <laughs> so I've been living there for the last six years. 
uh, and it's about is it three and a half hours from here and hopefully some of you have been that far um, and further back um, I'd, my parents you, you may have you've heard of my dad already but they went out to Niger in 1974 I was born in 76 out there so I spent my first 16 years in Niger and uh, although I was born in Nigeria but that's something to not mention if you can avoid it because it always gets you in trouble Thank you um, Tell us a bit about your family Brendan You can see my family I think So that photo is actually two years old so they've grown a bit since then So my wife Virginia Esther's our eldest. She is 14 now. She has autism. Um, so she's part four days a week at the special school in Warrnambool. And then Xavier is 12. Samuel is nine. They really enjoy footy and cricket. So Saturday mornings are busy with them. And Thomas is three. Thank you. And uh, can you tell us a bit about which organisation that you're associated with? And what ministry that you are involved with? Thanks. Yes, yeah, so you can see the, the acronym SIM. Uh, a long time ago, if you're a bit older, you, you might have heard of the Sudan Interior Mission. Sudan was an old-fashioned word for the Sahel. So the part of Africa that goes from Senegal across to Sudan uh, and the southern half of the Sahara. But the British named their bit of the Sahel, the, uh, the Sudan. They named it their country, the Sudan, and that's kind of spoilt the name. So we call ourselves Serving in Mission. We actually serve in more than 70 countries, and our missionaries come from more than 70 different countries. So we're very international. Um, but our focus is on crossing barriers to take the gospel of Jesus to communities where Jesus is least known. So we're always looking for places where people have hardly, have no or very little opportunity to hear of Jesus in their own language. Thank you. So we're pleased to hear you share now from God's Word and I take it using this microphone. That's over to you. I didn't um, say what I do but I um, actually work I have quite a few different roles and I'm going to share more about that after lunch if you're interested. So, um, and also share more about this people group that we went out to serve in Niger ourselves. But right now I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. And I will have to ask you to try not to fall asleep because as soon as you hear the story, you'll, you'll think you know it already, and so you'll stop listening and start thinking about the footy or something. So please concentrate, because this story is supposed to be a very shocking story. Matthew 2, verse 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked... Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. 
when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another road. Let's pray. We thank you so much, Father, that you, by the power of your Spirit, inspired Matthew to write this story down. By the power of that same Spirit, you speak to our hearts today through this word. So we ask, Lord, that you would teach us convict us and change us and that we would be listening to your voice voice of our captain this morning in Jesus name, Amen The coming of the Magi <clears throat> it's normally something we only think about at Christmas time and normally we only think it has to do with nativity scenes it's not a story that shocks us but Matthew wrote this story, he wrote his book to help Jews understand who Jesus was. So his audience for his book is Jews. Now when we hear the story, we often get shocked by what happens after the story. What happened when, the, when Herod found out that the Magi didn't come back to him and he killed the boys of Bethlehem, the babies of Bethlehem. That wasn't the part that shocked the Jewish readers because they knew what Herod was like. He was famous for massacring all kinds of people. That was not a shock to them. Let me read to you the parts of this story that would have deeply shocked the readers. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him, verse 2. Verse 8, Herod says, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Verse 11, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now every Jew since the time Moses wrote the Ten Commandments knew that worship of anyone but Yahweh was the most terrible of blasphemy a crime worthy of being stoned. And yet here, three times, Matthew emphasizes that these magi have come to worship a baby. Why would you start your story to explain to Jews who Jesus is by shocking them and offending them with the very first story? 
What's Matthew on about? Well, Matthew has actually spent all of chapter 1 introducing the story. And in chapter 1, he's been introducing to his readers the fact that Jesus is the son of David. So he starts with the genealogy in chapter 1, 1 to 17. Verse 1, this is a record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he goes through the next 15 verses proving that Jesus is the son of David. Verse 17 is his summary. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This baby that the, that the Magi have come to worship, he is the son of David. And then the angel speaks to Joseph as the son of David. Verse 20. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, or Joshua, which means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, every Jewish sect in Judaism at this time, and there were many, every one of them believed that the son of David was coming soon. There was great expectation that the son of David was very close to coming. So when Herod asked where would the son of David be born, they knew the answer. Bethlehem, based on Micah. Now how many of you would know an answer to a question based on Micah? I don't know, I'm not that familiar with Micah myself. So why is it that they were so familiar with Micah that they knew where the son of David was to be born? Because they were expecting his coming. And every Sabbath they would meet together to, like we do, to worship God, to sing. And their hymn book was the Psalms. So they were very familiar, much more familiar than we are with their Psalms. Because every Sabbath they would sing the Psalms. And you can be sure that the Psalms they sang most, or were most familiar with, were the Psalms about the son of David. Now one of the Psalms about the son of David would have been triggered in their memory or in their mind when they read the words of the angel. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name the Lord saves because he will save his people from their sins. There is one psalm of David that particularly talks about the son of David saving his people. Let me read to you from verses 12 to 14 of Psalm 72. Psalm 72 was David's last psalm, his last prayer. It says at the last verse, this concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. It's his famous last words, if you like. This is what he wants his people to be praying for the glory of his son, the son of David. And this is what he says about the son of David. Verse 12 to 14. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence 
for precious is their blood in his sight. I'll read that again. Just think, the most important person in the universe cares for the very least that nobody cares about. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. See, they were all praying this psalm regularly because they wanted the son of David to come and rescue them from their oppressors. Every sect had a different idea about who was the oppressor. They probably all agreed that the Romans were oppressors with their conquering army. But some also believed that the Sadducees were oppressors and others that King Herod was an oppressor. They wanted the son of David to come and rescue them from oppression. But the angel says that their greatest oppressor was their own sin. The son of David will come You will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their own sin. See, it was their own sin that was the cause of their trouble within their own families. The trouble within their own street, within their own communities. Let alone the trouble between them and God. Their greatest oppressor was not politicians. It wasn't foreign armies. It was their own sinfulness. And the son of David was going to rescue them from that oppressor. But how precious was their blood in his sight? We've already heard it read this morning. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 says, You are worthy because you were slain and with your blood You purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. How precious was their blood in his sight? It was so precious that he was willing to shed his own blood to rescue them from their oppressors. How did he rescue them? Because he was slain. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And what did that achieve? We are used to thinking about what that achieves for us as individuals. That it saves us from our sin. But look what he says. Because he was slain and and with his blood he purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's past tense. That was written almost 2,000 years ago. He has purchased for people by shedding of his blood, by the breaking of his body. He purchased people for God from every tribe and language and nation because they were precious in his sight. But that means that he is worthy to be worshipped by people from every tribe and language and people and nation. He purchased them for God with his blood 2,000 years ago and yet we've already heard this morning how many billion do not know that he has purchased them. And if they do not know that he has purchased them, they cannot worship him 
He is worthy to be worshipped by people from every tribe and language and people and nation because he has purchased them for God with his blood. To me, this is all about worship. Mission isn't just something for the, the zealots of the church. Everyone is on about worship, but worship is all about Jesus' glory. And if there are people of any language or any tribe or any nation that are not worshipping him, he is not receiving all the glory he deserves. Mission is all about worship. It's all about Jesus receiving the glory that he deserves because he has purchased people for God with his blood. Now we're going to take a detour and you're going to participate in this message because we're going to take communion at this point. And as we do, I want us to be thinking about this verse. His body was broken, his blood was shed to purchase for God people from every tribe, language, people and nation. If that doesn't matter to me, that he is not being worshipped by people from another tribe or language, then I'm not as full a worshipper as I should be. The cross is not just about me getting to heaven. The cross is about Jesus receiving the worship he deserves from every nation. So I'm going to ask the stewards to come forward. And uh, then I will pray. And then they'll distribute the bread and the... And you will take the bread as you receive it. And hold on to the cup when it comes around because we'll drink that together. If you're a visitor here and you love Jesus and you're a worshipper, you're welcome to participate. Uh, If you don't yet know Jesus, then feel free to let the bread and the cup pass pass by.
Let me pray and then we will drink the cup together. Thank you so much, Jesus. Son of that you have rescued us from our oppression, from the sin that kept separated us from you and that separates us from one another. Thank you that you did so by by shedding your own blood, by being broken for us. Not only for us, but for people from every tribe and language and nation. May we become true worshippers of you, who worship not only for what you have done for us, but that we become eager to bring to you worshippers from all the nations, that you may receive all the glory that you deserve. So we thank you as we drink the cup together. Amen. So it's for the sake of worship. Um, if, if I was on the panel and I was asked what is it that motivates me about mission, I would say that's the act. For me, it's worship. It's that it doesn't matter if the people in the middle of a desert, if there's only 20,000 people, they are worth investing one's life for. For Jesus' sake. Not for their sake, but for Jesus' sake. Because he is worthy of their worship. Now, as the Jews sing Psalm 72 every Sunday, or every Sabbath, sorry, they don't just sing verse, 15 to 7, uh, verse 12 to 14. They also sing the bits around it. In Hebrew poetry, there's often what we call, well, what I call a sandwich. That's not the technical name for this, but I call it a sandwich because there's a bit of meat in the middle and two bits of bread that are parallel to each other on the outside. The bread interprets that helps you understand what's on the inside and what's inside helps you understand what's on the outside. We've read the bread. Now I'm going to read to you the... Sorry, we've read the meat. Now I'm going to read to you the bread on the outside. Verse 9 to 17. May the desert tribes bow before you, or before him actually. May the desert tribes bow before the son of David. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him with gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. Verse 15, long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. Verse 17, may his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun Then all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. So in the middle is a prayer, an expectation that he is going to come and save his people from their sin or from their oppressor. On the outside is this prayer that the desert tribes, 
the kings of Sheba and Seba, the ends of the earth, that all these people will come and bow before him and worship him. Now by the time Matthew wrote, this psalm was already over a thousand years old, or about a thousand years old. So they've been praying this prayer for a thousand years. Praying that the desert tribes will bow before the son of David. Verse 9. Verse 10, praying that the kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. Verse 11, praying that all kings will bow down to him. Verse 15, praying that gold from Sheba will be given to him. So here come the Magi, bringing their gold, bowing down before him. And they realise, this is what we've been praying for for 1,000 years already. This is not a blasphemy, this is an answer to prayer. This must be the son of David that we've been praying for because the desert tribes have come to bow before him with gifts of gold. What we talked about out of Revelation 5.9, that he is worthy to be worshipped by all the nations, is being proclaimed here in Psalm 72. Because your blood was precious, because the blood of his people was so precious in his sight. Well, who is his people? His people, according to Psalm 72, isn't just the Jews. His people includes the desert tribes, the kings of Sheba and Seba, the ends of the earth. These also are the people, his people, who he will rescue from their oppressor. For precious is their blood in his sight. And therefore, the true worshipper of the son of David prays regularly that all these people also will come and worship him. How often do we, as Christians, pray for the desert tribes that they will worship the son of David? I think this is a prayer that we have forgotten, generally. And so, part of my vision, part of my ministry, I, I think the, um, what do you call it? the foundation of my ministry is actually this, this verse, Psalm 72, verse 9. Trying to mobilize God's people, God's churches, to start praying this prayer again, that the desert tribes will worship the son of David. Denise mentioned the 1040 window. That yellow box is the 1040 window. Ten between 10 degrees north to 40 degrees north, the majority of the people groups of the world who do not know of Jesus because they can't hear of Jesus live inside that box. And you can see how much of that area is desert. It's one of the reasons why the 1040 window is there, I think. The desert tribes are the last to hear of Jesus because it's, they're the hardest to go to. No one wants to go and live in a desert. That, that part of the world is known for being a bit unstable, insecure, a bit on, the, on Australia's do not travel list. But that is where the desert tribes we ought to be praying for are. May the kings of Seba and Sheba present him with gifts. Sheba was in Yemen. So I've circled there where all the descendants of the Arabs have spread out to. May the kings of the Arabs bow down before him. Seba was the Horn of Africa, the Somali peoples. 
May the Somali peoples bring him their gifts. Later on, the son of David in, the same, in this very book talked to his disciples about what to do when we see a harvest that is so plentiful with few workers. He didn't say, go. He didn't say, send your money. He said, pray. He said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And he told us what to pray for. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out harvesters. But too often, almost every Christian knows this verse, but we hardly ever obey it. Because so often we read it as, ask the Lord of the harvest to bring more workers to your part of the harvest. If you've got an orchard and you've got pickers picking from one, one part of your orchard and you've got no one in the other orchard and all the fruit going to waste... Is your priority sending more pickers to the tree that already has pickers or sending them to trees that have no pickers? But we will pray if we don't have a Sunday school teacher or we don't have a pastor. We pray earnestly that God will send us teachers. But my challenge to churches is, do you pray as part of your regular worship? Do you seriously, earnestly ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers from your congregation? to somewhere needier than you. I haven't yet met a church that can say yes to doing that as a regular part of their worship. But that's what I believe it means to pray Psalm 72 verse 9. If we want the desert tribes to worship the son of David, Jesus said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers to them. So I prepared a prayer guide because one of the other reasons I think we don't do it is that we just don't know where to start. So I have copies. I've got a big box full in the car, so don't think that the ones on the table is all there are. This is a prayer guide for a a whole month asking the Lord of the Harvest to send labourers to specific desert tribes in the middle of that map that I showed you. If you would like to start becoming a regular worshipper of Jesus in this respect by asking the Lord of the Harvest to send out laborers, then please sign up to use that prayer guide and I send out newsletters to help people, to help motivate you to pray. Not as often as I should, but it's on my, I need to do another one this month. But I'll be talking more about that later as well. How the wonderful ways that God is sending out laborers because people are praying. I don't see my role as mobilising workers to go. I believe my role is to mobilise churches to pray out workers. And when you pray, you're the ones that are mobilising the workers because Jesus sends the workers in answer to your prayers. He might even send you, but don't let that stop you from praying. (laughs) But that's not all that Matthew is trying to say out of Matthew out of this story because he also introduces Jesus in chapter 1 verse 22 to 23 like this sorry writing Matthew all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah 
The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So he doesn't say there, the prophet Isaiah, but remember that for the Jews who went to the church every Sabbath, synagogue every Sabbath to worship, their Bible was the Old Testament. So they're much more familiar with their Old Testament than we are because every Sabbath they were taught from the Old Testament. And they loved Isaiah because Isaiah had so much to say about the son of David who was coming. So just as they loved the Psalms about the son of David, they also loved Isaiah. They were familiar with this book. So when they heard the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, they knew it was Isaiah he was talking about. But if they were to think about the passage in Isaiah that is the most clear about the son of David's coming, sorry, about God being with his people, they would have thought of Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60 is Isaiah's version of Revelation 21 and 22. Revelation 21 and 22, about the consummated kingdom of heaven, coming down out of heaven like a city, strange-shaped city. Listen to these words and tell me, and and I, I hope that they remind you of Revelation 21 and 22. Isaiah 60, verse 19 and 20. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, because the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. time when God is so fully with his people, when Emmanuel is so Emmanuel that they don't need the sun or the moon for light. I'll read it again. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, because the Lord himself will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again and your moon will wane no more because the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. This is Isaiah's chapter about the son of David being with his people. When John wrote the same thing in Revelation 21 and 22, he was living in a culture that saw the city as the pinnacle of civilization. So he describes this kingdom in terms of a city. Isaiah did not live in that culture. Listen to how Isaiah describes this city, uh, this kingdom of heaven. I'll read from verse 6. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Now, I doubt that anyone in this room has ever pictured heaven as being full of camels before. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah. These are the camels of the nomads of Isaiah's time. The Midianites and the Ephathites with their large herds of camels wandering the Sinai Peninsula. And Sheba, the Arabs. All from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. And the Magi came 
bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. And the readers of Matthew 2 realize this is Emmanuel. The Magi have come with their gifts of gold and their incense and their worship. Isaiah said that would happen. Isaiah said that would be that would happen when the kingdom of heaven is complete. When Isaiah when the when Emmanuel has come, when God has come to be with his people. This is not blasphemy, this is a fulfilment of prophecy. So this baby in the manger that they've come to worship is the son of David, who we've been praying would be worshipped by the desert tribes. He is Emmanuel, who Isaiah promised would be worshipped by the desert tribes. Well, we ought to worship him too. But notice that he didn't say just a few from Sheba will come. He says all from Sheba will come, bringing their gifts of gold and incense and worship. That's a pretty big promise. It's a promise far from being fulfilled. The Magi were not the fulfillment of the promise. They were just the foretaste. They were the sign. 2,000 years have passed since the Magi came, approximately. And most of those tribes of Sheba, most of those desert tribes, <coughs> are not worshipping, <coughs> not bowing before the son of David. They are not bringing him their gifts of gold and incense. Not because they are disobedient, but because they don't know about him. All they know is what they've heard from Islam. They don't know that he is worthy of their worship. But Isaiah tells us that they will worship one day, all of them. Now sometimes I think we don't pray because we don't believe that it's possible. I mean, what you see on the news, what you know of that part of the world, is that seems impossible. And yet we don't think it's impossible that God could create the whole universe with six sentences. Unnumbered billions of stars, we, we can't even comprehend the number, with power inside them of billions and billions of nuclear bombs that we can't even comprehend. He could create that with one sentence. And yet we think this is too hard for him. David taught us to pray that the desert tribes would worship his son. Isaiah promised that they would worship his son. And Matthew has reminded us here in Matthew 2 that this is what Jesus has come for. This is how we know his glory. That his glory will be fulfilled and complete when the desert tribes are bowing before him. This is a picture on the cover of our prayer guide. A group of, of Fulani people. They remind me of the Magi. Now my prayer for you is that now, from now on, any time you hear this story read, you will not think of a nativity scene. I want to spoil that for you forever. I want this story to be a trigger for you to remember the desert tribes that David taught us to pray for. That they would worship Jesus, not for their sake, but for his sake. Because he is worthy of their worship. 
because they are the people that he purchased with his blood. But I don't want you just to think of them. I want you then to pray for them, to pray that God will send out workers to them and to pray in faith and confidence that Isaiah tells you the end of the story. They will worship one day. And they will worship one day because we ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers and because he sends them in answer to our prayers. And if it hasn't happened in the last 2,000 years, it's because we haven't been asking. We haven't been asking. But God will answer these prayers and I think we're living in a very exciting time where we can be part of seeing Jesus receiving the glory he deserves from this part of the nations. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have shown us this morning Jesus' glory and the glory that he deserves. That even David knew that the desert tribes were part of his people. Even David knew that they were part of the people that he would rescue with his blood, that he would purchase for you, that he would deliver from their oppressors. Thank you for reminding us that we need to make this part of our worship, that we need to be praying for the desert tribes, that they might worship you, that you might receive the glory you deserve. And thank you for reminding us also through your words in Matthew that Our part in this is so simple. It is to become prayers who pray out the workers. All you ask of us is that we pray out laborers for this harvest field and we know that you will send them out. And sending them out that you will bring these desert tribes to worship your son in vast numbers. So thank you for for giving us this vision today and I pray that you'll help us to be obedient to the part you want us to play in this vision. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, we heard about tribes and every tongue and every nation, and we're going to hear some of these tongues spoken uh, through the reading of his word. I'm going to invite us to come up. Please listen, and the translation is going to be up here in English. Revelation 5 9. Tamun 买了人来，教他们归于神。我们也是，加点不成，不成。有人来，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对，对
കർത്താവായ യേശുക്രിസ്തുവിന്റെ നാമത്തിൽ നിങ്ങൾക്ക് എല്ലാവർക്കും വന്ദനം ഗ്രീറ്റിംഗ്സ് ഇൻ ദ പ്രഷ്യസ് നെയിം ഓഫ് അവർ ലോഡ് ജീസസ് ക്രൈസ്റ്റ് മലയാളം ഈസ് ദ റീജിയണൽ ലാംഗ്വേജ് ഓഫ് കേരള സ്റ്റേറ്റ് മൈ മദർ ടങ് ഈസ് മലയാളം സങ്കീർത്തനങ്ങൾ തൊണ്ണൂറ്റെട്ട് രണ്ടാം വാക്യം സങ്കീർത്തനങ്ങൾ തൊണ്ണൂറ്റെട്ടിന്റെ രണ്ടാമത്തെ വാക്യം യഹോവ തന്റെ രക്ഷയെ അറിയിച്ചും ജാതികൾ കാണുക തന്റെ നീതിയെ വെളിപ്പെടുത്തിയിരിക്കുന്നു യഹോവ തന്റെ രക്ഷയെ അറിയിച്ചും ജാതികൾ കാണുക തന്റെ നീതിയെ വെളിപ്പെടുത്തിയിരിക്കുന്നു താങ്ക് യു Psalm 99, Verse 2 und 3 Der Herr ist groß in Zion und erhaben über alle Völker. Preisen sollen sie deinen großen Namen und wunderbaren Namen, denn er ist heilig. Après cela, je regardais et voici, il y avait une grande foule que personne ne pouvait compter, de toute nation, de toute tribu, de tout peuple et de toute langue. Ils se tenaient devant le trône et devant l'agneau, revêtus de robes blanches et de palmes dans leurs mains. Et ils crient d'une voix forte en disant, « Le salut est à notre Dieu qui est assis sur le trône et à l'agneau. » Malek en fu indari pili jorna galamungal e mau ben e kulibord de night dein be kipi e lady yeso jorna gal gal ibn tedna allah ibn bia amina barka e tedengal e hakilo e yetede e manende e baude e sembe fu alamon jokile fu fa abada amina to join with me in prayer. Jesus, you are the Lord of the harvest. Father, we ask for the times we may have prayed and often prayed to just build our own little kingdom here. Change our hearts and change us as a church. continue to capture this vision that was laid before us through your word to remind us of these tribes of these desert people and tribes and nations and tongues even in a small way represented here to ultimately to come and minister to them and show them that their worship is worshiping something or someone else now and their hearts have been designed to worship you so lord of the harvest we ask even amongst us this morning and maybe even those listening in that today will be a start of a journey of joining in your mission and reaching these tribes and these different tongues so that we may see that day when we can come before your wonderful and glorious presence and join our brothers and sisters in Christ from around the globe with all these different tribes even the desert tribes and worship the king of kings and the lord of lords for you are returning again 
not as a little baby, but as the risen and conquering king. So we pray, Lord Jesus, come. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. So a couple of things before we uh, finish up for this morning. One, if you want to hear a little bit more about Brendan's story and about his mission and ministry and, and what God has been doing through SIM and so on, please come and stay for a light lunch after the service uh, and we'll be doing that. Uh, secondly, the other thing is also this kind of um, morning is also where God might have been stirring you and you might be asking some questions. God, do you want me to join in this mission? What does this look like? Would you not use this Sunday as something you forget? Maybe this week, pray. Maybe come and talk to one of the pastors. Maybe meet with one of the um, uh, leaders in our, um, sorry, in our mission uh, team. Either Denise, Rob, or Steve, and say, can I catch up for a lunch or dinner and just talk about this? There's something going on. We, we as a church, want to be about joining Jesus and his mission, not just here in Kilside but around the globe. What a joy and privilege that would be. So would you consider that? And then a couple of things just uh, to let you know. There's also the night service happening tonight, 5.30 here at Canterbury Gardens. Come down. Chris Ayers will be talking about mission. So uh, it is what we're going to be really um, focusing on. And then finally, there's a little baby that has been added to our church congregation. Lacey Margaret was born to David and Rachel on the 22nd of March, 6.40. If you want details about weight and all those kind of things, I can't help you. Um, I don't know, talk to John. Maybe he might know. So, so friends, pray, ask questions, talk to Brendan, grab one of these prayer guides, start praying for the desert tribes, and may we as a church join in his mission to reach the nations. God bless.